0: Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there.
1: When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then, they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judas said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders." After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in his blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was a captain of the palace guard.
2: Well, hey, everybody. Uh, We're coming to you live from a different part of our building. Just wanted to mix things up today. I want to say thank you to Brian and Brooke for reading our scripture passage for today. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Before we do that, I want you to know that we are so eager to be able to meet in person again. We cannot wait, but we have to wait. We have to wait until it's safe to do so, until our county restrictions allow us to do so. So as soon as possible, we are going to be having services together again. I know not all of you are gonna wanna come to that right away and that's fine. But for those that are ready to get to church again in person and gather as a church, uh, not that this is the church, we are the church, the people, but to gather together in a location, we're going to do that as soon as we can safely do that, as soon as the county gives us the green light to do that. If you want to stay informed about that, you can go to efree.org slash updates and sign up for our updates there. If you want the more nitty gritty updates, do the senior pastor updates. If you just want to know when are we going to have church again in person, then you can do the regular church updates and we'll keep you informed that way. I also want to mention, if you have kids and you are not already taking advantage of all of the great content our Kid Connection team is putting out there, you can go to efree.org, click on the kids link right there on the homepage, and you're going to see all kinds of videos and activities and things that you can do with your kids at home. You can also get on our our Facebook page for Kid Connection and would love for you to be a part of what our kids ministry is doing. It's really, really cool stuff. And if English is not your first language and it would be more helpful for you to follow along in a different language. You can go to efree.org slash translate and convert this language live. As long as it's a live service, we'll have that running and you can watch and read along in whatever language is more helpful for you. Maybe put this on the TV or a different screen, use your phone, pull that up, and you can follow along in a different language. Hello to all of you that are watching live online right now. I can see you in the chat in front of me. So, um, hi to the Kessel rings and the Proctors and Way and Amalia and so many other people who have not chosen to choose an obvious name for who you are as you get into the chat. It's great to see you in there. It's nice to be able to worship together online today. If you have any questions as we're going, feel free to put those in the chat or thoughts about the message today, so that we can all kind of interact and and feel that we're together, um, even though we have to be apart today. Now, we're in a series called the Life Interrupted Series, and it's pretty obvious why we're calling it that, right? Our lives have all been interrupted in some really big ways, and we're studying the story of a man named Joseph, whose life was interrupted over and over again in really big ways. We're trying to learn from his story how we can best respond to some of the challenging interruptions that we're facing based on the principles that we see in God's word and some really challenging life circumstances. And one of the most interesting things, I think, about the COVID-19 pandemic is that many of us are now stuck in our homes. So we're bored and we're starved for social interaction. And so the digital social life is becoming even more prominent in our lives than it was before. That means a lot of us are spending time on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and Twitter and probably some others that I haven't even heard of yet. We are looking at pictures of other people's baked goods. We're reading about what other people have done with their kids this week. We're watching videos of other people's pets. And, and it's awesome because it makes us feel more connected to each other. Uh, in fact, we can even be connected in some ways to people that we would never be connected to in real life. For instance, did, did you know that Hugh Jackman is really enjoying making a lot of different homemade bread recipes and he's even making stuff that people are sending him online from social media? He is, which is really cool. But all of our time on social media can also lead to a lot of comparison. We compare ourselves to the other people that we are casually e-stalking, or maybe you're not on social media much, and maybe you just look at your neighbor's house or, or the car down the street um, or something like that, and you compare it to your own. Do you ever think about your coworker's job or your boss's life or your friend's hobby and think, man, I wish I had that? You're not alone. This is something psychologists call social comparison. When we see what's going on in someone else's life, our natural tendency is not to think, wow, that's really great for them. How cool. But to compare it to our own and to evaluate and and see what it's like compared to what we have. This is especially true for people that we think are similar to us. So if there's a stranger who gets a promotion, not that big of a deal, but if it's a coworker and you have been at the company for the same amount of time, well, then it's a really big deal because they're closer to us. We tend to compare ourselves to other people, but especially when they are closer to us. Like, for instance, friends or family members. Kids do this, right? They do this all the time with their siblings and with their friends. Like, why can't I have a Nintendo Switch? Johnny's parents got him a Nintendo Switch. Why does she get another cookie? Then I have to have another cookie too. They always want fairness. We're constantly evaluating our lives compared to other people. And we're gonna call this the comparison trap. It's the comparison trap. I'm going to explain why it's such a trap in a little bit, but before we do that, let's talk about this guy, Joseph. Brooke and Brian read the scripture for us. You can pull it up, it's Genesis 37. I'm gonna bounce through this story a little bit and try to make it interesting for all ages that are watching as much as possible, but we'll put the relevant verses on the screen so that you can follow along with us as we go. Genesis 37 says that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other children. Now that's a problem, and we talked about that problem last week. But one of the ways that he showed that he loved Joseph more than his other boys was that he gave him a special gift you may have heard that it was a coat of many colors. We don't actually know that it had many colors to it. It may have. All we know is that it was a coat of special significance. It was an important, special coat. Scholars think that this was probably a coat that was very long, down to the ankles. And what this was is it was a coat that you wouldn't do manual labor in. This was a coat that was given to someone who was in management. And so Joseph had a special position a position of importance. He was given this coat by his dad because he wasn't working the fields like his brothers did. He would check on his brothers. He was the one that would bring a report back to dad on what the brothers were doing. And so he was sort of a level above them. And this coat kind of indicated how significant he was compared to them, even though he was younger. He reported right to the big boss. In fact, he was an intermediary between his older brothers and his dad who was in charge. This also tells us that it's probably not the only time Joseph got special treatment from Jacob. It was happening all the time. And imagine being Joseph's brothers, growing up with this for years and years. I mean, did you see what dad gave Joseph today? How come I never got anything like that? And can you believe that Joseph didn't get in trouble for doing that? I got in so much trouble for doing the exact same thing when I was his age. So now Joseph is about 17 years old, He's got this special position of prominence that his older brothers do not have. Dad has a favorite and that favorite gets special treatment, a special position and a life that none of the other brothers have. So they hate him for it. They can't say a nice thing about him. Have you ever felt that way about someone? someone that you are jealous of, you wish you had the life they had, the car they have, the house they have, the relationship, the family, whatever it is. And so now, even if they do something objectively good, you cannot bring yourself to say a nice thing about them. You're always looking for the bad, looking for, there must be some negative there, even if they did a wonderful thing. Can't say a nice thing about them. That's how Joseph's brothers felt. Now, if Joseph was wise, he would have downplayed The favoritism. Stick the coat in a closet. Go work with the other boys in the fields with the flocks. Don't be afraid to get himself a little bit dirty, which that's the whole point of that coat is you don't get yourself dirty. He he certainly wouldn't bring it with him when he goes to check on the brothers in the fields, parading around with it, but that's what he does. He wears this coat with pride. He wears it to, to go all the way out to the brothers to check on them because this coat indicates, I don't do the stuff you guys are doing. I'm here to check on you. He parades around in it. And every time they see Joseph in this coat, it reminds them of the life they don't have, the privilege they don't enjoy, the position that every single one of them feels they deserve more than him. And to make matters worse, Joseph has a dream. Now, it's sort of the opposite of the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. This dream sounds a little bit more like, I had a dream that I will be so important And all of you will come and you will bow down to me because I will be so important. You will honor me. Nothing about the content of his character, just the special status that he will enjoy. And Joseph, for whatever reason, shared his dream with his brothers. Probably not the best idea. Maybe he should have kept that one to himself, but uh, maybe he took a little joy, just like he did in wearing that coat to go see the brothers and sharing this dream with the brothers. And this is really going to shock you But they did not like him because of that dream. They did not suddenly say, oh, well, if that's what's going to happen according to your dream, Joseph, then yes, we will go ahead and serve you. They hated him even more because of it. I think we should pause here and acknowledge something about the comparison trap, and that is that there are two sides. One side of the comparison trap is when we look at someone else and we want what they have and we feel jealous. But the other side of the comparison trap is when we try to make other people feel jealous. Sometimes we will say things or buy things or post things online specifically because we want to make other people feel jealous. In fact, some people may even feel good about it when someone else feels bad about their life because they've compared it. Both sides of the comparison trap are unhealthy. I'm gonna talk more about the unhealthiness of the comparison trap in a little bit. But first, let me get back to the story of of Joseph. And I wanna point something out here because even though the Bible doesn't tell us this, it seems that the dream that Joseph had probably did come from God. After all, it did come true eventually. So that leaves us wondering, if God really did give this dream and it came true, so we assume that he did, why would he do that when it led to so much jealousy and hatred among these brothers? Why did Joseph need to know as a teenager that he was going to have some special status and privilege and that the rest of his family would come and bow down to him? Why would that be something that he would need to know about ahead of time? And there are probably a few things that we can say here, but I just wanna touch on one answer that to me is probably the major answer. And that is, I think it gave him hope. Joseph is about to have his life interrupted over and over and over again. And many times it would be tempting for Joseph to say, I am just gonna forget this whole serving God thing. I'm not gonna be faithful to him anymore. My life is basically over at this point. I might as well forget about God because he's clearly forgotten about me. I mean, Joseph will be thrown into a pit, nearly killed, sold as a slave, falsely accused of adultery by a very important person, abandoned to prison, and then left there by the one man who he helped who could have helped him out of prison. We'll get to all of those stories later, but Joseph is going to experience some horrible interruptions in his life. And I have to think that along the way, he remembered back to those dreams he had as a boy and thought, there must be something to that. God must still have a plan for me. And I think it gave him hope. I think it helped him to have resolve to remain faithful to God in some dark times in his adult years. And we all need that, right? We all need that hope to help us get through whatever difficult situation we're facing right now. And a lot of us are facing some very difficult situations, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. But we have to remember, just like Joseph, we have been given a glimpse of hope. We have been told by God that He has great things for us in the future, that He works all things out for good to those who love Him. We know from the Bible that those of us who trust in Jesus have an incredible future awaiting us that is way better than any house that our neighbors have, or car that our coworkers have, or anything else that we might be jealous over. None of that even compares to what God has waiting for us. And so we have hope, just like Joseph did throughout his life. But to be honest, this day in our story of Joseph was not a very hopeful day for him. His brothers saw him coming from a long ways off to check up on them, to bring a report back to dad. And as they thought about that and they saw him in that special coat that indicated the, the love that he had from a dad that they didn't have, that he, he had this special position and that he was actually placed in a, some authority over them because he's reporting on them. Their words will be filtered by him as they go back to dad. Their hearts burned with hatred for him. And it got so bad that some of them decided to kill him. He's the arrogant dreamer. He's the little boy who thinks he's better than all his older brothers. He's dad's favorite, the the privileged, special chosen one. We'll kill him. We'll lie and say that a wild animal did it and we'll never have to listen to his dreams again. Now, for whatever reason, the oldest brother, Reuben, had more of a conscience. Or maybe he just wanted to get on dad's good side by, by rescuing Joseph and bringing him back. But he convinced the brothers not to kill him and instead to throw him in a pit. And then Reuben would come back later and let him out of the pit and go restore him to dad, Jacob. But later on, when Reuben wasn't around, another brother, Judah, decided, hey, why don't we just sell him and make some money off of him? We won't kill him. We won't even leave him here to die. We'll sell him off as a slave. He won't be our problem anymore and we'll get some money out of it. Now just pause for a minute and think about where jealousy brought these brothers. By comparing what Joseph had with what they had, they hated him. By comparing how dad loved them to how dad loved him, they couldn't say a nice word about him. By comparing the special status and privilege that he enjoyed with the positions that they had, they were willing to kill him or sell him off as a slave, their own brother. Now consider the fact that the lives these brothers had were not bad. Their dad was incredibly rich. They had families and resources and jobs and food, They weren't jealous because they didn't have enough. They were jealous because someone else had more. And isn't that what happens with us? It's not that we don't have a roof over our head. It's that their roof is a little nicer than ours. It's not that we don't have food to eat. It's just that we can only go to that place to eat every now and then, and they go all the time. And it's not that we don't have a car necessarily. It's just that their car has a nicer logo on the front of it. Now, I want to be fair here. It's not that comparison is always, always a bad thing. It's not universally bad. Comparison is sometimes how we establish a baseline for what should be an appropriate expectation for us based on where we're at right now. Comparison can actually be a healthy evaluation tool that leads to a lifestyle change or a relationship change, and it can actually come from a healthy motivation. And in that case, the comparison is not a jealous one. It's just an honest evaluation and a tool for personal growth. But honestly, I don't think most of our comparison falls into that category. Most of our comparison ends up doing one of two things. It either makes us feel superior to another person, or it makes us feel inferior to another person. It either makes us feel superior to them or inferior to them when we compare ourselves, and neither of those are healthy thoughts to dwell on. When Joseph compared himself to his brothers, he felt superior to them. He had special privilege and he was proud of that privilege and he paraded around with his nice coat. He got nicer things than the other brothers and that probably made him feel very superior. When the brothers compared themselves to Joseph, they felt inferior. They felt underappreciated, undervalued like they had been treated unfairly. And that's an important part of this, treated unfairly. I've been treated unfairly. I deserve more in all of this. We have to understand when we're talking about the comparison trap, that when we compare ourselves to others and when we feel jealous, like we've not been given a fair shake, who is it that we're actually blaming? Who is it that we're actually mad at? Ultimately, who is it that didn't provide nicer things for us? Who is it that gifted us differently than he did other people? Who is it that placed us in a different family for a different upbringing than someone else had? It's God. When I feel jealous toward other people, it's actually ungratefulness toward God. Jealousy is is just a thinly veiled accusation against God that he got it wrong. He gave the good stuff to the wrong person. He allowed the wrong person to get ahead, to look good, to have more followers, to have a better position, more talent, more connections. Jealousy just says, you got it wrong, God. Now here's something else about jealousy. Jealousy means that we are both prideful and self-loathing at the same time. Now, how is that possible? Well, when we are jealous and we experience jealousy, we feel like we deserve more than someone else and that is pride. But we also feel bad about what we do have and so we're self-loathing. We're ungrateful for what we have or where we're at in life, but at the same time, we believe that we should have more and deserve more and so we're jealous of other people, both prideful and self-loathing. To be jealous is to say, I don't like my life right now and I deserve It's a dangerous combination of thoughts. And not just because of how it makes us feel, which is miserable, but also because of what it leads to. See, James 3, 16 says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. See, jealousy is an evil that leads to more evil. Joseph's brother's, were jealous of him and allowed that hatred and and that arrogance and that self-loathing and that pride to sit in their minds for a while, for years, until they were ready to do something radically evil. Maybe you can think of some other things that jealousy causes us to do, which are evil. Some, Some things that jealousy leads to, if you can, you can post about them in the chat right now. I'm watching it right now. What are some things that jealousy leads to where evil causes more evil? See, this shows up in our life in many different ways. Maybe it's the people that we exclude. Maybe it's the way we gossip about other people or the little things we might do to hurt someone that we are jealous of when we have an opportunity to and we think we'll feel good about that. Let me take a a little bit of a leap here to something I thought about this week. I wonder if sometimes jealousy is the reason behind why we don't treat our family as good as we should. Maybe we're actually jealous of what someone else has or the relationship someone else has, and we feel bad about where we're at, and we're self loathing and bad about our situation, maybe even bad about our family relationships, and so we don't treat them with the love that we should, and that maybe comes sometimes from jealousy. Jealousy is an evil that leads to more evil. So, what's the answer to all of this? How do we resolve jealousy in our lives? I know it's not as easy as just saying, don't be jealous. Stop comparing yourselves with other people. That is way easier said than done. So what I wanna do is give you three practical tools that you can use in your life. Three practical principles that come from the Bible to help you overcome jealousy and avoid the comparison trap. So the first thing that you can do is to accept the way that God made you, blessed you, and limited you. You know, God doesn't give everyone the full package. God doesn't give anyone the full package, actually. No one is created by God as practically perfect in every way. You have a set of features and gifts and abilities that God has given you and even limitations that God has designed you with that's unique from everyone else. People looked at Samson and thought, man, that guy has everything. The strength, the charisma, the favor of God and the bod. I mean, he's got it all, doesn't he? And yet, this is a guy who struggled with immorality and arrogance. And because of that, it all got taken away from him. People looked at David and thought, that guy is so good looking and confident. He's skilled in battle. He's a great leader. He went from the youngest son of a shepherd to the the king of a nation. And he was anointed by God. I mean, what a privileged and blessed guy. And yet, he was a jealous man who took another man's wife and, and murdered to cover it up. People looked at the Apostle Paul and thought, wow, he's an amazing communicator. He's bold, he's daring. He's got more amazing stories from one week of his travels than I do for my entire life. He's the most interesting man in the world and my life is a total snooze fest. But listen, Paul struggled with more suffering and grief and stress than probably any of us ever will in our lifetimes. And he had a challenging physical limitation of some kind on top of all of that. And what I'm trying to say is that we need to realize what we see is only a glimpse into other people's lives. When we think they have it all perfect, when we think everything is great for them, that's not necessarily reality. Everyone has problems and issues and struggles and and they're different than what we might see projected online or on TV. We're all comparing our lives every day to someone else's highlight reel and thinking that's what every day looks for them. But we have different attributes and different gifts and different limitations that are designed by God for us. And so we need to learn to appreciate that and accept that. The second thing that you can do to overcome jealousy and avoid the comparison trap is to look for ways to serve others with the gifts God gave you. From the time we are little, one of the things we care about very much is fairness, right? And by fairness, we mean if, if they got something, we should get the same thing or more than they did, or else it's not fair and I'm not going to be happy. So if he gets a new toy, I should get a new toy. Or later on in life, if she got a promotion and we're about the same age, I should be getting a promotion right now too. If we act as though we were all promised some kind of fairness clause in the contract of life. And unless we get what other people have, we can't truly be happy. But God doesn't promise anything like that. In fact, he tells us in his word that he works the opposite way. He blesses in different ways. He designs us differently. We are each unique and wonderfully complex, the Bible says. One of the greatest examples of this is when it comes to his church, the people of God who trust in God 1 Corinthians 12 says that God designed the different members of his church to have different gifts so they fit together as a team. We are not meant to be a bunch of identical fair robots. We are different by design. God made you a certain way. He gave you certain gifts and abilities and limitations. And he loves you that way because he made you that way. What you need to do is find out how God gifted you because there's a reason. There's a purpose behind that. He has a purpose for you. He has things for you to do in serving other people on his behalf. As the Bible says, we're stewards of his grace because of the gifts that he's given us. So he has things that he wants you to do on his behalf that are going to bring so much fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose in your life. And hey, we're all looking for purpose, aren't we? That's one of the biggest problems we see today, people who are struggling with all kinds of things because they don't have purpose in life. Listen, if you are doing the things God designed you to do to serve other people, you're going to have so much purpose, you're not going to care if somebody else has more of some material thing than you do. So one of the antidotes to jealousy is service. When you serve other people, the way God designed you to, it brings so much satisfaction and contentment. It makes you thankful for what you have and it gives you a purpose in life that jealousy and comparison never could. The third thing that you need to do if you want to overcome jealousy and avoid the comparison trap is to focus your mind on worshiping God. Focus your mind on worshiping God. Worshiping God is another antidote for jealousy. And I want to explain why with a verse in Colossians. Colossians chapter three, verse five says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And then this is the important part. Don't be greedy. Now that word greedy literally means covetous. Don't be covetous. Don't covet after what someone else has. The word literally means to want the same thing someone else has or to want more than what someone else has. So don't be covetous, don't be greedy. For a greedy or covetous person is an idolater. A greedy or covetous person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. That that word for greedy, that means covetous, means that we're also being an idolater. Now, how is that? Why, Why would Paul say that this is a form of idolatry to be covetous or jealous of what someone else has? It's because when we're jealous of someone else's looks or possessions or family, relationships, job, life, whatever it is, we start to focus on that thing that we don't have and want instead of focusing on God. It's a package deal. It's really hard to worship God fully when we're discontent with what he's provided for us and jealous of what he's allowed someone else to have. So we replace worshiping God in our minds with worshiping the thing that we want, that someone else has, because we compared ourselves to them. And now we're dwelling on that as a replacement for worshiping God in our life. Now, the great irony of all of this is that in some cases, the very thing we desired and wanted and were jealous over and were basically worshiping is a thing that God might have given us and was willing to give us, but he wouldn't do it because our hearts were wrong. Did you know that? James talks about this. In James chapter four, he says that there are good things that God was willing to do for people, willing to give people, but he he wouldn't do it because they would not ask for it from him, wouldn't trust God for it, or when they asked, they did it with the wrong motives because they were jealous. Let me show you in James chapter four, verse one. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. Um, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because why? Because God doesn't want you to have it. Not necessarily because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. That's a really interesting passage to me because James is telling these people that there are certain things that you would have, God would give to you, except he won't do it because you're asking with the wrong motives or you're not asking at all. You're just jealous. See, God is okay with you having nice things, but he doesn't want you to worship those things. So focus your mind on worshiping God instead of the things you want or the things you have. But then we need to talk a little bit about worship. What does it mean to focus our minds on worshiping God? Well, very simply, it means putting God first in every aspect of your life. It means that God is worth being your number one priority. He is worth your worship. That's what worship means. It means in our actions and in our words, putting God first, showing that he's worth more to us than anything else. Romans 12 says that our whole lives Are a living sacrifice to God, and that that's a reasonable act of worship. It is a worshipful thing to dedicate everything we do in our lives to God. That means after you're done watching this message, no matter what you're doing next, if you're putting God first in that situation, you're worshiping Him. You're showing that He is worthy of being first in your life. When you wake up tomorrow and you talk to your spouse or your children or your siblings or your parents, or your friends, or whoever it is. And and in those conversations, you're being mindful of how God wants you to talk, and you're not saying the things that you know do not please him. You're putting him first in that. You're worshiping him. You're showing that he is worthy of you carefully controlling your speech the way he wants you to, and you're putting him first. You're worshiping him. Those aren't the only ways that we worship God, but that's a big part of it. That's one way that we can worship God. We can offer our lives as a living sacrifice to him, an act of worship. And it's really, really hard to maintain jealous thoughts when your focus is on worshiping God and putting him first in everything that you do. And that's why jealousy is a form of idolatry. And an antidote to jealousy is to worship God. So put him first because he is worthy and accept the way that he made you. Gifts, abilities, limitations, all of it. Accept that that's the way God designed you to be, and he loves you that way. Put him first, worship him, and then take the gifts that he has given you and use them to serve other people. And if you do that, you will find so much satisfaction and contentment and purpose and joy in your life that it will not matter if someone else has more than you. Always put God first in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of every minute of our lives being focused on you, no matter what we're doing in that moment. And so God, my prayer for everyone watching online right now is that you would help us all, myself included throughout this week, to keep you as the number one focus in our lives. Help us to keep our focus on worshiping you. Help us, God, to accept the way that you made us And and to not be ungrateful for how you've designed us to be, to appreciate the fact that you love us the way that we are and that you have a purpose for us and you have things that you want us to do. And then help us to do those things. Help us to serve other people. And I know that's difficult right now because a lot of our avenues of service have been kind of cut off, but there are still some things we can do. And Lord, I pray that as things start to open back up and, and more opportunities to serve become available, that we'll all really dive into those things and take advantage of what you have gifted us to do. Help us, Lord, to find our purpose and satisfaction in that, not in the things of this world. Help us to be your hands and your feet, stewards of your grace, putting into practice the gifts that you have given us and serving other people, ignoring jealousy, not comparing ourselves to others in any kind of unhealthy way, but focusing on worshiping you. And we're gonna praise you for what that does in our lives and in our community. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.